How's everyone doing today? I'm just going to scooch this over here for a second. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. It's on page 1,118, if you have the same Bible that I have. And, uh, you know, I shouldn't say this, but uh, since Ryan said a bunch of things about me, you know, Ryan, and uh, I've known him for a while, one of the things that would be on his highlight reel is I saw Ryan catch the smallest fish I've ever seen in my life. And we were fishing with uh, Mario Perez and other people like at Silver Lake or something, and it looked like he caught bait. I mean, I, and it's funny, it's still like, you know you can put a picture in your phone for someone's contact? I still have it as his. So there you go. Well, hey, as you're turning there, uh, just it's a real honor for me to be here. On behalf of me and my family, we are so elated to be back here. This church means so much to us. We love you guys. I know a lot of you. Some of you I don't know, and we look forward to getting to know you. But we're going to get into the scriptures today. And as you're turning there, I want us to think about the kinds of things that influence us. What are the kinds of things that influence us as people? Right? So there's, there's people that influence us, right? Like your spouse or your kids, right? Your family, your friends, right? We have people in our workplace who influence us. We have authority figures in our local government, right? So there's people. People can have a huge influence on us. There's also things, things like music, like we were singing music, and movies, and podcasts, and books, and money, right? Stuff like these things influence the way that we interact with the world, right? There's also groups, right? Like political affiliations can be super influential. We won't go into that. Um, sports, like the sports team that you root for, right? Some people are like crazy diehard about their sports, right? That's super influential in their life. The school you go to, the school that you went to, right? There's these different groups that can really influence us as people. And as we know, some of them are really good, and some of them are not so good, and some of them are kind of like in between a little bit, right? Sometimes they're good, but too much of it, right, it can become bad, right? So some really simple simple ideas, right? So for good influences, right? Like being around people that are trustworthy is a good influence on you, right? Would you guys agree with that? We all want our kids around people that are trustworthy. Being around people that lie all the time is probably not a good influence on you, right? Something more nuanced in between. I'll give you a super simple example to make the point. Salt. I'm going to confess to you right now. I'm a salt first kind of guy. Kaylin's always like, hey, it's pretty salty, right? You should, you should taste it before. I'm salting before. I blame, how many of you guys do this? I put salt and butter on just about anything, right? Because it tastes good, right? Salt increases flavor, but too much salt will ruin your food. It's also really bad for you. Too much sodium in your system, right? It's bad for you. So these, there's things that are clearly good. There's things that are clearly bad. And there's things that are in between that. They're good, but up to a point, and then they become problematic for us. Another example, think about, some of you guys are entering into middle school right now, or some of you have kids that are going into middle school, right? So like these preteens, their world is getting bigger, your world's getting bigger. There's also a ton of influences that want to speak out to you. And some of them are good, and some of them are bad, and some of them we're not quite sure because they're not always super honest about their intentions. 
It's a very vulnerable time in your life. And there's going to be repercussions, right, for these influences. A last one that's more personal to me and my family is we recently got a new puppy. I think I have a picture of it. So I know, right? I should just stop, right? Um, so this is Remy, short for Remington. And on the left, that's when we picked him out. He was a week old. I mean, he's like a hamster. He doesn't even look like a dog, right? I thought we were picking out a guinea pig. Um, so we had to pick him out out of a bunch of litters, and we had to be super judgmental. And it was like, oh, that one's ear is weird, and that one's eye, whatever. So we picked him out, right? And this is Remy now. He's about four months old, and he's just like the cutest thing ever. But if any of you guys who've had a puppy know, puppies are really vulnerable, right? They're really vulnerable. They need you to kind of do everything for them. They want to chew everything. This dog would chew my entire house apart if he could. He likes to eat wood chips. He'll just eat rocks. Like, who, who eats rocks, right? And if we don't control the influences on his life, he literally would have, like, already passed away by now from ingesting rocks, right? Or eating our couch, or he eats our shoes, or he eats your fingers off, right? He's super vulnerable. And so the other thing with dogs, if you guys know this, is you can't just, like, take them and take them for a walk right when you get them. Because of vaccinations in dogs that could carry diseases, parvo and stuff. So you have to get booster shots, right? So hopefully our influence on our puppy is good and ultimately he stays alive, right? If we allow all these other influences in his life, ultimately he may not have a very long one. You guys kind of catching what I'm saying here? Ultimately, my point is that influences play out in the way that we live. The things that are influencing our lives start to play out in the way that we act. That's why influences matter so much. They affect the way you dress. They affect the way you talk, the teams that you cheer for, the way you spend your money, the food you eat, the way you treat other people. And then they also, more importantly for us today, they affect the way that we look at God. They affect the way that we would even look at the scriptures. See, we may not want to admit it, but we're all kind of like a puppy or a preteen in our faith. All of us. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 60 years or you just got saved yesterday. We are all vulnerable because we're human. We're vulnerable to all these different influences that are competing for your head space that ultimately want to affect the way that you live your life. And this is what's happening in this book of John. We're, we're a little bit past halfway through it, and John is writing a letter, and this is important for us to remember as we look at the Bible, this was a letter written to like actual people. Like there was a real group of people, they really lived, and it was initially written to them, not to us. So we have to kind of remember, okay, what was John writing about? In this group of people, there's some teachings and influences that are happening in this church that aren't so good, and that's why John is writing. Okay, you guys ready to read the scriptures? Kind of keep that in mind. 1 John chapter 4, this is what John writes. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Verse 4, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, speaking of these false spirits or prophets. 
Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint or the influence of the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. That's the word of the Lord for us today. And if you're anything like me, you read that and you're like, what, what the heck is going on in this text? We got like spirit mentioned a ton of times. We got an antichrist going on. We've got something about Jesus in the flesh. There's a lot kind of going on in this passage. And hopefully as we unpack it a little bit, we can walk away today having a better understanding of what John was addressing and also how applicable it is to us today. So the first thing I want to say to us, I'm going to we're going to break this into two sections, verses 1 through 3 and then 4 through 6. The first thing I want to say is that Jesus' humanity is essential to the gospel. Jesus' humanity is essential to the gospel. The first thing that John is doing in this passage is he's addressing some bad influences that were happening on the church. And these false teachings, they deny the humanity of the church. Now, Danny, you're like, okay, well, why does that even matter? Well, it matters because... The church is like a preteen here at this point in history. I mean, not even a preteen. It's like an infant. You got to remember, this is like the first century. There's no, there's no Bible. Well, there's, there's like this part of it. There's the Old Testament. There's no New Testament yet. There's no translations. There's no Bible app. There's no internet to go on and say like, I heard this guy say this thing about Jesus. Like, is that theologically true? Like, none of that stuff exists yet. This church is so young and it's so vulnerable to different influences. And there's people that want to profit off this new Jesus way. And so John starts addressing some of these false teachings, these false spirits that are having influence on the church. And one of the ones that he, there's two main ones that he addresses. And Don, Pastor Don mentioned this when we opened up this series. But the first one is this view that denies that Jesus came in the flesh. Right? It's a denial that God actually became a man. It's a denial of that Philippians 2 passage that Tim read. And this view is called docetism. And it essentially just says, hey, God couldn't have become flesh. No, he just appeared to be human. So Jesus was on the earth, but he was like a spirit. He was like a hologram or something, like a really believable hologram. Right? And that view denies that Jesus was human. Now, this isn't as big of an issue for us today. We probably, you guys may not have even heard of that word. And that's because the early church for two or three hundred years dealt with this. It's in the creeds. It's in the Nicene Creed. It's in the Apostles' Creed. The church has wrestled through these things. But there's another thing that John was going after that I think is more applicable to us. And it's this view called Gnosticism. And really, basically, Gnosticism is, is dualism. It says, hey, the earth, the physical world is bad. And the spiritual world or the immaterial world is really good. So like all of this stuff, all of us living stuff we can touch, right? That's bad. Spirit stuff's good. They all, both of these views have a really low view of this world. This world that Jesus came to save. And if you follow the train of the reason this becomes really problematic for the church in this thinking that is that, okay, if God becomes a person... And the, and the world is evil, that means that God becomes a person, is, that means God is evil, and if God is evil, God can't be God, right? The rationale here, here is really dangerous 
for these early Christians. And this is the context that John's writing to. This is the con- He recognizes, hey, this influence is really bad on you guys. And I'm writing this to warn you because these false spirits are actually opposed to Jesus. They are in opposition to the gospel. And guess what? There are people and influences like that in our world today. We would all agree, I would think, that there are influences in our world that are not for the gospel. Amen? Right? You guys see this. We see this. Just turn on your TV. Right? There's marketing happening all the time that's trying to pull you away from things. And John, which is so cool, is John is writing this letter not because he just wants to talk about what's true. He's writing it because he really, really, really cares for these people. We see in verse 1 he says, Dear friends or beloved, it's this term of endearment. He is writing to these people because he has a deep care for them. He wants them to thrive in their faith. He wants them to grow. And because he cares for them, he has to tell them the truth. He has to warn them about these influences on them that are not really good for them. And in fact, John uses this word beloved six different times in this book. You see it all the time. His concern for them comes from his great love for them. And because he cares, right, just like when we care about somebody, you have to tell them the truth. If you have a friend or someone you love that starts being influenced by something, love would say, talk to them. Love doesn't say, well, you just get to do your own thing. That's, that's not love. I don't know what that is, but that's not love. And what John does here, which is really important, is John recognizes that the enemy here is these kind of false spirits or false prophets. The enemy is not people. Listen to this. This is the Apostle Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 6. It'll be on the screen as well. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of darkness in this world, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Now, I know that that verse is pretty, like, It's pretty gnarly. Like, it's some heavy stuff there. But the point is this. Your enemy is not the guy on your street who thinks differently than you, who has a different political view than you, who cuts his grass differently than you, who, whatever it is, he's not your enemy. He's your neighbor. He's been made in the image of God, and God loves him. What's the enemy is the thing that's trying to influence all of us. That's the thing that's been defeated on the cross by Jesus Christ. And the problem is that what happens is that these influences start to manifest in the way that we do things, right? So people are absolutely accountable for their actions. I'm not trying to say, oh, it's just the influence and we just punish. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we have to remember that people are not our enemy. And I'm the first to say that I so oftentimes feel like they are. (laughs) It's a difficult thing that I'm saying, but Paul and John are saying, no, no, remember who the real enemy is. It's not people because Jesus came to save people. It's these influences that are going after people. So, all right, you established that. How do you know if the spirit is true or not? And, And John deals with this. He's like, hey, this is how you recognize the spirit of God. This is verse 2. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is from God. You're like, cool, that's, that's his litmus test. Hey, if they confess that Jesus came in the flesh, they're good to go. 
Because to deny that Jesus came in the flesh is to actually deny the gospel. It's a denial of the gospel. So what is the gospel? And if we went around and had time to really, if we had to all articulate what the gospel is, sometimes it's, it's more difficult for us to, to know than we think. And so I would just go to the scriptures because the scriptures tell us what the gospel is. And Tim kind of stole something from me and read the scripture already. Uh, but we're going to read it again. This is the gospel in Philippians chapter 2. Starting at verse 6, listen to this. This is the gospel. Speaking of Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So he, he is equal with God. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human life. He becomes a man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, so the glory of God the Father. Amen? That's the gospel. If you're like, someone asks you, like, what's the gospel message? You don't have to make it up. Just go to Philippians chapter 2. It's right here. And if I had to give you a condensed Danny paraphrase, but I would definitely go to Philippians if I were you, I would say this. The true gospel is that Jesus, being fully God, was born as a human. He lived, he died, he rose again from the dead, bringing salvation to all who believe in him. That is the gospel. If we take any part of that out, it's not the gospel. So if Jesus, the gospel is that Jesus came and he was born, if you miss the fully God, it's not the gospel anymore. If we take Jesus becoming incarnate, it's not the gospel anymore. If we take out Jesus dying on the cross, right? You see what I'm saying? If we remove a part of this, it's not the gospel anymore. And these false spirits and bad influences and things that John is talking about, they are not confessing that. And because of that, they are anti-Christ in nature, which just means they are opposed to the ministry of Jesus. He's not talking about like the antichrist, like a specific figure. He's talking about things that represent evil and that are at enemy with the gospel. See, influences on us that are not healthy try to manipulate us into serving that thing and that ideology. They are trying to pull us away from being sacrificial and loving other people. And those influences were in John's day and they're in our day as well. And this is where it becomes important. They want you to think these They want you to think that we can have our faith here and our lives here and that we're good to go, which is dualism. They want us to think that we can separate those things instead of like integrate those things. But the incarnation, Jesus becoming flesh says, no, we actually have to live this thing out. See, if, if Jesus didn't really come, if he didn't really come as a person, follow me here, then how can he ask us to live for him on this earth if he didn't actually do it too? The incarnation is that important. The gospel is meant to be lived out in this world. Jesus didn't just come and preach and talk, I guess like I'm doing. Um, he actually went and lived it out. Right? So if I say all this stuff to you guys now and it, whatever, 
And then I go home this week and I'm a terrible husband and I yell at my kids and I let my dog eat rocks and uh, right, I do all these things. I live differently. You should start to think, well, hey, Danny, something's wrong because your actions aren't lining up with what you say you believe. And we all know that that's just like at the core, it's not how it's supposed to be. They're supposed to be integrated. There was no separation between Jesus' faith and Jesus' actions. And it really shouldn't be any different for us, which is challenging. We move into verses four through six, and it gets, this is the good news, okay? This is, this is where it starts to get good. The incarnation is the reason the church can overcome the world. Jesus becoming flesh has a direct effect on us. John declares to these people, hey, you've overcome the world. We have overcome the world because Jesus has overcome the world. Oh, that sounds awesome. Like, how, how does that even work? Like, how do you do that? Well, John says, if you follow it in verse 4, he says, hey, you're from God. And you're like, no, I'm from Torrance. I'm not from God. Like, I was born in Redlands to, like, Mary Beth and... I don't know, Harold or something, right? And it's like, no, no, not like that. Not like who you were born to. You've been born again. So if you put your faith in Jesus, you've been made new. You're a new creation. There's all these different words, but you've been saved, right? The Spirit of God has been poured into you. If, you've been, if you are a Christian in this, if you believe that Philippians 2 passage, the Holy Spirit is actually inside of you. We should have had some response from that. That was a little bit disappointing. It's okay. We'll get there. Check this out. Romans 8, 11. This is Paul writing. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give your mortal bodies, give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, Paul's talking about resurrection and death and stuff. But he says twice that the, listen to this, the very spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Come on. I know. Sorry. And you know, here's the crazy thing. Your kids know this. If your kids came to VBS, they sang a song about this. And there was motions to them or whatever, right? Because it's so powerful. That same spirit that overcame sin, death, and evil lives inside of us if we believe that. That's crazy. There's something greater in you. There's something greater in me. It's not that I'm great. It's not that you're great. Oh, you guys are awesome, but you're just not great. It's not that. It's that the Spirit of God that's in you is greater than anything else in this world. If that's not good news, I'm not sure, I don't know what is. And this statement by John has incredible implications if we believe it and if we actually act on it, which is where it gets dicey. If we act on this, the implications are huge because the gospel is meant to be lived out in this world and Jesus did that and he's inviting us to do the same thing. Okay, Danny, so... I think I'm tracking with you a little bit, maybe, hopefully. The humanity of Jesus is really important because if, if Jesus didn't become human, it means he didn't actually live, die, and resurrect from the dead. 
And that means that he can't ask us to live a life like that either. And it's really important, and the gospel is meant to be lived out. Okay, so, so what does it mean for us to live out the gospel? Because we can talk about all this stuff, but if we don't get to like the nitty-gritty, you know, it doesn't really matter. Well, the clue for this is in the context. Now, this is really interesting as I was studying this passage. Chapter 3, starting at verse like 11, all the way through the end of the chapter, it's all about love. It's all about love. And then right after our passage, starting at verse 7, through the end of the chapter, guess what it's about? It's about love. So, so we've got this love sandwich going on. We've got chapter, before there's, John's talking about love, and then after he's talking about love, he's saying, hey, God's love, and you got to love. So we got this sandwich, and in the middle is this, like, spirits and antichrist and incarnation, and we're like, that's a weird sandwich, right? I'm not sure if I want to try that. So we have to look at our passage saying with these eyes of love because that's what John has been talking about here. Otherwise, we're going to misunderstand. So, okay, all right, so how, is our, how does these two discussions on love, how is that connected to what's happening here? Well, the incarnation is the greatest display of love that there is. Think about this. They say, is it, I don't know what the phrase is, but like imitation is the greatest flattery or something like that, right? So, like, if my kids, they're right there, they might deny this now, but if they, like, wanted to dress like me or whatever, don't tell them I said this, um, because they love me, hopefully, right? You, you end up wanting to be like people you admire or love, right? We can agree with that. Jesus became a human because he loves you. <laughs> I mean, tell me, like, he had, I mean, he had a pretty good gig before becoming a human. I mean, he was, like, equal with God, like, dude's doing all right. He loves us so much that he became like us. That is the power of love. That's why this series is called The Power of Love, because that kind of love is incredibly powerful. That kind of love is not the love we see in the world, right? And every time, can you put the first slide up, like the the power of love slide? Every time I see this, it's not there yet. It's okay. Oh, yeah. I think, oh, you already put it up, man. Um, I think of Back to the Future. That's the power of love, right? Huey Loose in the news, any fans out there? Right, okay, now we're tracking, right? I'm like, I don't know if Don did this because he likes Huey Lewis in the news or Back to the Future, but every time I'm sitting in church, I see that slide, a couple of things I think. I start thinking, gosh, I need to watch Back to the Future when I get home from church. And I think, I need to get like a 1985 4x4 Toyota. Remember that truck he had? And then I also know, as a guitar player, he gets that massive amp, remember? And he puts it to 10, and he like... And then I get distracted and have to like get back to the sermon. So anyways, I started thinking about all that, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, like studying for this. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to like put that song on, you know? So I put it on, and I watched the video, which is hilarious you gotta watch the video and then I'm like I'm gonna look up the words of the song because check this out this is like the second verse or something this is what Huey says for us about love you don't need money don't take fame don't need no credit card to ride this train it's strong and it's sudden and it's cruel sometimes but it just might save your life that's the power of love Now, I know that Huey Lewis in the news didn't write this song to talk about God's love. But I actually think they're on to something. Because 
God's love does not require money. It doesn't take fame. Actually, fame is going to mess it all up. You don't need a credit card to ride God's train because it's been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. God's love is strong and it's sudden or it's fierce. I don't know that I'd say God's love is cruel, but I would say that God's love is not afraid of confronting. So sometimes it can feel cruel. And I can tell you this, it will save your life. That's the power of love. I should have asked him to play the song after. That would have been awesome. So Huey Lewis in the news kind of get us on this, oh, maybe there's like a different way of looking at love. So, so what kind of love are we, what do you mean by love, Danny? Because that could mean anything. And they wrote a song about it, but it's not just quite that. What I don't mean is this. I don't mean love that lets people hurt themselves. I don't mean love that lets people get abused. I don't mean love that doesn't confront things. And I don't mean love that doesn't challenge. I don't know what those are, but they're not love. Love that just lets people do whatever they want? There's got to be a word for that. This is not love. And it's certainly not what we see in the scriptures at all. This is not biblical love. So there's two verses that I think will help us develop a really good understanding of the kind of love that Jesus is displaying for us. What is like incarnational love? What is God becoming flesh kind of love look like for you and for me today? Well, the first one comes from 1 John 4.10. This is the passage directly following this. I'm whoever's preaching next week. I'm kind of stealing from them, so sorry. This is what John says. He gives his definition of love. Hey, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So what we learn is that God's love is initiating. God initiates love. And God also, God's love is also sacrificial. Two things. It initiates and it sacrifices. In John 15, 12, uh, John says something similar. He, this is what, these are Jesus' words. He says, my commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Right? So we have initiating love and we have sacrificial love. Incarnational love, Jesus becoming flesh love, it means loving first and loving sacrificially. You guys with me? You should be saying at this point, that sounds really difficult. <laughs> like, that's hard. Who wants to love like that? It seems tiring. I read this and I'm like, gosh, I wish I could like preach something different. This is what the scripture teaches. This is hard. In fact, it's impossible. I can't do it. You can't do it. This church can't do it. Huey Lewis in the news can't do it. Michael J. Fox can't do it, even with the DeLorean. It's impossible unless the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you. All of a sudden, the game changes. Right? The flux capacitor works. There's so many metaphors we could keep going with uh, with this. Um, you guys are only going to remember that now. Um, it is impossible, except that we have that Holy Spirit living inside of us, right? You don't need a credit card to ride this train. You need the Holy Spirit, and you already have it. And if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you, 
the Holy Spirit wants to dwell in you. If you don't know Christ today, talk to somebody about that. Tell me more about this gospel. Come talk to me. Grab anybody in this church. Grab one of the pastors. You need to know Jesus because he has given up everything for you. And he wants to fill your life. So what are some practical ways to live out the gospel, right? We've, I've kind of walked us through this whole thing. Hopefully it made sense. I'm just assuming it does. And, and we get to this point, where, okay, we know we need to live the gospel out like Jesus lived it. And I'm not talking about just like preaching and evangelizing. I'm talking about like living this thing out day to day. How do we do that? We know that our love needs to be initiating love like God's love is. Because our love is like this. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll go do something if they call me first. Right? I mean, how many of us are like that? I mean, it's exhausting to be the one always initiating stuff. And a lot of our love is responsive. And hey, that's cool. It's just not the way God's love works. God's love goes after people. God's love cares for people. And then we also know that God's love is sacrificial. That's the really, like, painful one. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost me something. People are worth that cost, though, I think. So how do we do this? Well, man, today is a perfect day. You know why? Because you're going to walk out those doors and there's going to be like a billion different ways that you can live out the gospel. It's the ministry fair. And there's, you're going to get to see all these different places that you could embody the gospel and serve and live this thing out. All these opportunities to serve in here and ways to serve in our, in our community. And it's not just limited to that, though. We need to be thinking differently about it. Some of us you guys are going to go to a meeting tomorrow at 9 o'clock. You have like a, a meeting at work. for some. You're a project manager or something, and you're, you're going to be sitting there. How do you, in that space, initiate care for people and love sacrificially? We have to start thinking about stuff like that. How do we integrate our faith into places like that? So here, though, maybe you want to serve in cadets or jams or youth ministry or you want to shred up on stage or you want to be a greeter or whatever. These are all ways to put our love into action. And I do just want to say this because, you know, I've been in pastoral ministry. I've just been a regular guy sitting in the pews. This is not a plot to get volunteers. I mean, they need volunteers, I'm sure. I'm getting that yes from Larissa. And sometimes it feels like, oh, I just need like people, gosh. This is, that's not what this is. This is an invitation for us as a church to live out the gospel in our neighborhood. That's what this is. And it means that we need to initiate care and we need to be willing to sacrifice for that. Because when we're learning from Jesus and living in the power of love, we will recognize the spirit of truth. When we start doing these things, Verse 6 talks about we will be being influenced by the spirit of truth. See, the spirit of truth compels us to live lives that point to the love of Jesus Christ. And when we as a church are initiating love and we're loving sacrificially, we know that we are being influenced by the spirit of God, which is what John says in verse 6. And this all matters because if we take the humanity of Jesus out of this thing, then we get a pass to not have to live it out, which would be awesome. <laughs> it just wouldn't be the gospel, though. 
And John writes this because he cares so deeply about these people. And I'm saying this to you and to myself, that this matters so much that we actually live this thing out. This isn't to earn your salvation, as Pastor Don has made such a good job of saying. This isn't about salvation. This is about living out the gospel because this is what Christ has called us to do. It's really worship. It's our response to God. And so I want to challenge you as you go out there today, and Larissa is going to talk about this in just a second, more about it. These are opportunities. How can you live out the gospel? What might God be calling you to? How might he want to stretch you? Right? You don't have to have a deep passion for kids to serve in kids' ministry. Like, you can have like a half passion. They're cool with that. A quarter passion. Right? Like, it's not just about, like, oh, I just don't like feeling it. Like, I don't care how you feel. Like, we, we, we gotta, there's, like, stuff to get done. You know what I'm saying? So, throw away your feelings. Go serve. I should, I'm going to stop. Let, let, me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to be here together. God, we know that your spirit is here because your spirit is in us. That's what the scripture says. We don't have to say some magic prayer to get you here. You've already been here. And when we leave this place, you're going to be with us because you're in us. Jesus, we thank you for coming in the flesh. God, we thank you for becoming human because you love us so much. And we thank you for going to the cross to pay for our sins. We thank you for rising from the dead and defeating sin, death, and evil. And we thank you that you breathed out your Holy Spirit on your church. And then you ascended to the Father. And you are alive. And you love us. And you're asking us to follow in your footsteps. And you've given us everything we need to do that. Jesus, I pray that you would increase our faith to take steps forward into living out the gospel. Empower us, God. Excite our hearts that we get to partner with you in doing this. There's nothing greater that we could do. And we can do that whether we're dropping our kids off at school or whether we're in a meeting or whether we're here at church. Wherever we're at, God, we can be people who initiate love and love sacrificially. Jesus, give us your heart for the people around us. We pray these things in your name.